Perhaps the most misunderstood of the four temperaments is the melancholic. Are they just brooding pensives? Or does their temperament reflect something of how God wants to call them to sanctity? That's the theme of this week's episode. Welcome back to the Catholic Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Joe Heschmeyer. I'm joined here with Braden Steinberger to talk about the melancholic temperament and the spiritual life. Braden, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. No problem at all. So if you've been listening to the last two episodes before this, or if you haven't, uh, we've been talking about the temperaments, which are related to your general disposition, um, how, how quickly you react to things and how long that reaction endures. And the way different people are kind of wired differently in terms of their, their general disposition. And this can impact the sort of spiritual struggles they might face. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they have trouble committing to something or whether they have trouble letting things go, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know anything about that, Joe. <laughs> of course not. No, yeah, no. <laughs> it doesn't relate at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure no one out there is like, oh, I struggle with one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Perfectly holy, no Everyone's sense. Everyone's very detached. Yeah. Yes, we have a very holy listener. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Crowd. Um, uh, museum for museum for saints. In museum for saints, for exactly. Sinners, isn't that right? isn't yeah. that the whole message? Yeah, 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 yeah. No sinners allowed. Yeah. If you're if you're a sinner, you can stop listening now. Yeah, this yeah. is not well, did, the podcast. Did you hear about you. the perfect church? Uh, no, I haven't. I joined it, and it doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Well, there you go. <laughs> so this is Braden for everyone <laughs> who's listening at home. And I'm glad to have you on the show, because I think it it dispels one of the common myths about melancholics. When I went on Shameless Popery, and I shared uh, Father Conrad Hawk's quiz, Mm -hmm. which I would encourage any listeners to go online, Mm -hmm. shamelesspopery.com, they can take it themselves. Some of the people who got melancholic as a result were like, well, I'm not depressed. And that's, I think, a very common uh, misunderstanding. Fun fact, I actually am depressed. Well, there you go. (laughs) So, but you um, still have a sense of humor. You still have, yeah, sure. So, but it, it's something distinct <laughs> from. It's distinct from the melon. Like, it, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Does one have a natural disposition towards it? Possibly. I don't really know. Right. But like. But it, they're not does, the same thing. It doesn't necessitate the other. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you can. Other other temperaments can have clinical depression, yeah. and plenty of people who are melancholic are not clinically depressed. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> and you can have both things and still have both things. You can be both melancholic and clinically depressed, and not be just um, humorless or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I that's hope, I hope at least. Yeah, yeah so far so uh, good. We'll we'll see what the comments are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, anyway, I'm glad I'm glad you're on the show. I'm glad you're willing to kind of share and talk about what it's like to be a melancholic striving for holiness. I mean, yeah. striving to to live the life of a saint. On that note, I actually want to correct something I didn't do last time. So one of the things I intended to do in each episode was to share particular saints um, who were maybe emblematic of the, the particular temperament, to show how each temperament has sort of a path towards holiness, and it's not going to look the same. I mean, no two paths to holiness look exactly the same. This is also true in a broader sense. No two temperaments are, are have the same struggles exactly with uh, the spiritual life. Uh, it, yeah, one one thing is, is that this is this is a 
a generality and a baseline, it it, it, it isn't the end point. And that's yeah. something that, like, I think, I, I gotta confess, I haven't listened to the other podcast. <laughs> um, but, like, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping was emphasized that, like, like I, the, the, these are are a general path a gen the, these are generalities they, that doesn't mean um, that you need to be this in order to be holy it means that this might be helpful yeah that's a really good distinction and I think we talked about that a bit last time one of the ways I put it last week was this isn't the end point this is a starting point yeah like you are born wired a little differently. Born as... this way, baby. <laughs> but what do we, like, we see people use born this way as an excuse for their actions. And really, born this way is the opposite of that. Born this way is saying, I have a tendency in this direction. But once I know about that... Then I'm... there are strengths and weaknesses yeah. associated with that. I can figure out what I need to watch out for. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you see this in little kids. You'll see kids with certain personalities. The last thing I want anyone to do is hear this and either A, use it to justify their bad behavior. Oh, I just do this because I'm yeah. I'm a temp, you know, I'm fill in the blank temperament. Yeah. Or B, uh, feel like they need to fit neatly into one of four boxes. That yes. if yes. you know, because especially when we have this kind of reductionist stereotype that if you're a melancholic, you're, you're not allowed to laugh. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. laughing is saved for saying no, I, 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 I never laugh. Yeah, of course not. We yeah. haven't heard that at all in no, the show. No. So yeah, but they think if we avoid those two extremes and say, okay, you might have a different struggle than the person next to you, that doesn't mean you're not both called to holiness. Correct. It means that some some roots might have hurdles in different places than Correct. other ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's no easy uh, path in terms of any of the four temperaments. Correct. I think people have the idea that being sanguine is very easy and being melancholic is very hard. And I think even people of those temperaments can sometimes feel like that. Um, but there really are strengths and weaknesses to each one. Yeah. Before we go any further, I talk want to talk... about the saints. Yes. yes. So I want to talk about both a sanguine saint and a melancholic saint or two. So because I didn't mention it last week, St. Philip Neri is a great example of a sanguine saint. He was known for his sense of humor, for his uh, just sort of almost lighthearted way of dealing with things. And so even in the face of some pretty dark situations, he had a certain levity uh, that was distinct from a gallows humor. Even though the example I'm going to give for this is almost perfectly gallows humor. He lived across the street from the venerable English college in Rome. The English college in Rome, still there, is where they trained seminarians. At the time, um, the Elizabethan persecutions were going on. Catholicism was illegal and priests were being killed. And so the men who were in seminary there knew they were going back to England and knew that there was a very strong chance uh, that they would be martyred. And St. Philip Neri, when he would see them, would, would say, Hail, future martyr. Which is both <laughs> kind of like dark in, a, in an amusing sort of way, but also there's something very holy, very pious about that. And he didn't lose that vaguely sense. Vaguely hopeful. Very, yeah, it's true. He, he <laughs> kind of put things in an ultimately optimistic uh, perspective yeah. that yeah this is a scary thing you're doing but you are doing this so you can go and defend the faith in England yeah. perhaps be a martyr before the throne of God all of that ends up being very yeah very optimistic very hopeful uh, his penances he would sometimes give in confession would often be somewhat amusing the uh, story that's ascribed to him whether it's true or not is that a woman had come to him and confessed gossip 
and he told her to open up her pillow and wave out all of the feathers under the street. And I think come back to him once she had did that, right? And one, she, she then had to, yeah, she then comes back to him, and then he says, okay, now go gather them up, all the feathers, put them back in. And she's like, I can't. And he says, well, the same thing is true with your words. Once you let them out, you can't just get them back. And so he makes these great spiritual points, but from this kind of almost jovial, lighthearted way. Uh, so he's classically considered to be a sanguine, uh, that this is part of his temperament, this kind of wry sense of humor, this kind of observational, uh, this kind of, just the general worldview. Okay, well, let's talk now about one of most people's favorite, I think, melancholic saints. St. John, the beloved disciple, is commonly considered to be a melancholic. My boy. Yes. <laughs> I think once you hear about the traits of melancholics, uh, dear listeners, that might make more sense. Because, again, melancholic isn't about just being, like, miserable all the time. There is this sense in which melancholics maybe see beyond the curtain. They see beyond the limitations of um, limited worldly things. Do we wanna, let's talk about that right now. Cool. Do, so do you know what I mean by that when I say like, you have uh, the imprint of Eden or heaven on your soul and, and other things maybe don't measure up by comparison? Um, that's, that's a nicer way to put it. The, the way that I often consider it is that like, I, feel, I feel more deeply both in the negative and the positive sense. One, one other thing that I, that I feel that I think is, is important to speak about with this is that, like, just to emphasize again, um, it is not possible for me to speak for all melancholics, nor is it possible, even in one sense, to speak as a melancholic. Like, I'm speaking as Brayden. Yeah, multi melancholic right. traits. And so, um, yeah, like, I, 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 don't, I don't speak for everyone. I want to emphasize that perhaps my witness will be helpful. And that's more my hope in this than, like, being an expert. Yeah, so. I also think it's... So one of the reasons that I'm doing personal kind of interviews with this mm -hmm. is because people are complicated. Yeah. You can have a temperament and also have a whole life history and virtue and vice and all of these things. And these things really color uh, what your spiritual life looks like mm -hmm. and what the particular struggles of the day look like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not as simple as there are four groups, A, B, C, D. Yeah, yeah. You fall into one of these. This is the issue you're dealing with today. Yeah. Like, of course not. So you can, you know, in cases of really extreme virtue or really extreme vice, it can often be difficult to see um, a particular individual's temperament simply because they may have worked on some of the, the classic faults with it. or mm -hmm. But you can also have uh, intervening things. You know, if you, yeah. get, if you get deeply sick, even if you're a, a sanguine, and you're just like in deep physical pain the whole time, your personality might look different than if, yeah, yeah, if yeah, yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that in mind, uh, seeing behind the curtain, mm -hmm. seeing the world a little, bit, a little bit differently than it seems like everyone else does. Definitely, yeah, I feel that, uh, perceive that often. Um, there's, there's, um, uh, one, one of my, one of my uncles, I, I suspect, uh, 
qualify falls under uh, is it has a melancholic bent towards him, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, you'll go into a crowded room and you'll you'll feel utterly alone, and that no one has el- ever felt this way. And of course, there are five other people in the room that are feeling that way, but <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you you don't know that. Um, and and so there there is this sort of sense of like feeling deeper than others do. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I've, I've seen some people sympathy cry before. Mm-hmm. I've seen one. So like when, when someone else is in really deep pain, like, and you like feel the pain with them, I've, I've seen one person do that who is a, a raging sanguine. Um, the other people mostly that I know that sort of feel that pain with other people who feel that sense of empathy. Um, I mostly have the melancholic bent towards them. Like, it's it's a strong sense of pain, which is, like, glorious and also really, really terrible. Um, and so, like, um, that that's one thing, I think. Why don't we talk about why, because I'm imagining some people are listening to you and saying, nothing about that sounded glorious. <laughs> So yeah, why is it, what's glorious about uh, being able to feel both your own pain and other people's pain more deeply? Well, here, here, here's the thing. Sometimes I understand this lesson and sometimes I don't. So I'm not going to act like I'm always happy mm-hmm. for this gift. Yeah. It's, it's a cross in both senses of the word in the sense that it's an area for redemption and it's an area for suffering. And, mm-hmm. and really they're tied together. Um. Uh, why is it a bad thing? Because suffering isn't fun. Um, yeah. Because it, no one particularly right. enjoys that... it in one sense of the word. So. No one is confused about that half of the okay, equation. Got it, got it. So why, why is feeling pain a good thing? Yeah. Because it's true and it's an imitation of Christ. Yeah. Because, um, because Jesus wept for the sins of Jerusalem. Yeah. And the literal cross, the physical cross he carried, was for us, not for mm-hmm. himself. So in that sense, that's uh, in a way the ultimate sort of sympathy suffering, yes. but obviously much deeper, much in, in a in a far more perfect way. Right, right. <laughs> but if I mean, getting to do something that's even a dim imitation of what Christ does on the cross yeah, is is. Pretty decent. In a lot of ways, the goal. <laughs> and St. Paul talks about this. So St. Paul's temperament is... I make up for what is lacking in, in this, yeah. the sufferings of one of the most interesting verses. Yes. Um, I was talking with one of my professors once, and he, and, and I asked him about that because it's it's always intrigued me. And, and what he said, and I'm not sure if this is, you know, imprimatur or whatever, but, like, he, he, he said... Basically, how I would rephrase what he said was what is lacking in the suffering of Christ is my participation. Exactly. Christ the head has suffered perfectly. Yeah. Christ the body is still being called, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. And in that, you continue uh, the glorious mystery of Good Friday yes. in the world in some remarkable kind of unspeakable way. <laughs> so I, we could do an entire episode or, yeah, or yeah, a yeah. few episodes just on the Christian message of suffering because the whole world looks at suffering and says, what do we do with this? Well, and a lot of I, Eastern religions I say, think a lot of Christians yeah. should should look at that carefully. And that that's another strength, perhaps, of feeling pain deeply, is that, like, I'm not satisfied with the, just offer it up. Right. Like, a, the, the, a, 
everything happens for a reason. But deep, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, sense of like a, a shallow Christian answer is just as frustrating as a um, as uh, a, a quote unquote deep secular answer. Maybe right. even more so. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, I think it's a good point, and I think it's something that some people, based on their life circumstances, including but not limited temperament. Oh, yeah. Suffering may be far from them in any immediate sense. Uh, maybe you haven't ever lost anyone close to you. Maybe you've never had any serious trauma. Maybe, you've, you know, these people are, are fortunate in a sense. Yeah. But the risk is there's no deep meditation on suffering at any point. And so when inevitably suffering does come along, mm-hmm. well, then it's, it's almost impossible to kind of grapple with. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that is... Um, one of the gifts of of a deep sense of pain. I think I think another sense. I recognize sin in my life and in, mm-hmm. and, and in the world, um, and and I'm able to criticize. It. So so like, no one no one criticizes what they don't want to be better. Hopefully, uh, one of the strengths of like feeling that pain, feeling that disappointment, is is that. You, I, I might be able to point to like what I could do better than like um, a, a fair amount of other people looking into my life. That, I think that's a really good point. So let me s- say back what I'm hearing, and you can tell me if it's if it's accurate. You're able to do what for some of us is the most difficult part of an examination of conscience, which is basically being a, even aware of where you've fallen throughout the day. And it's a necessary first step if you're ever going to ask contrition for those things. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to habitually fall into them, you have to be aware that, like, oh, I could actually do better than this. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't just good enough. And I think a lot of a lot of temperaments are more inclined um, because of the sort of maybe more optimistic side to say, oh, well, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't all bad. It could have been worse. Mm-hmm. But with your own sin, you don't really want an could have been worse attitude uh, if you're serious about rooting out even small sins. Now you don't want you don't want to ex- right. You, you don't self- want to extreme in the other other category of like despair. But <laughs> despair, scruples, you know, right. Uh, metaphorical or literal self-flagellation isn't where we are mostly these days. Yeah. So, yeah, with, so I mean, with like, that caveat. Right. Yes. Well, that's that's exactly <laughs> that where I want to go. A that, weakness of the melancholic. Yeah, you can fall too much into uh, sort of a self-loathing that isn't actually productive. Uh, I never never struggle with that, <laughs> my friend. Never struggle with that. Of course not. Well, other melons. <laughs> yeah, might. yeah. I'll, I'll I'll just talk about other people from now on in vague generalities. <laughs> exactly. I, a friend I, of mine. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine named uh, Braden Steinberger. Uh, no relation. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that those two extremes that some people need to be told. It's not as dark as all that. It's not as bad as all that. Christ's mercy is so much bigger than your sins. Other people need to be told, like, yeah, you're redeemed. Yeah, you're a son or daughter of God. You need to act like it a little more. You need to actually, like, get it in shape and stop being just satisfied with kind of keeping it venial. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's an ongoing struggle with, with, with... with the Christian condition, yes, like that—that that isn't. It, it it seems to me, and yeah, vaguely you can um, separate, you know, 
uh, people into two categories, which is like uh, leaning towards pride or leaning towards despair. Ultimately, mm-hmm. they are the same thing in one real sense of the word. And another, like, you know, I'm not as bad as I think I am or I'm worse than I think I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's, there's, um, there, there, so um, there's an author that I really like. I'm pretty sure that he's also a melancholic on that vein. Um, he is, I think the cause for his canonization is open. Yeah, or at least his um, beatification is underway. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, on yeah. the road to sainthood. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, his, his name is Romano Gardini, really fascinating guy. I could talk about him for a long time, and I love his work. Just a little... Yeah, little, talk, little, talk about him for a short time. Okay, so so he uh, he has a book called Learning the Virtues, and we're, we're that's, that's where we're going back. And one of his virtues that he talks about is patience, and what he's talking about with patience is patience with yourself, which is something that is not unique to melancholic, but perhaps maybe a little bit stronger. Like mm-hmm. that dissatisfaction, the frustration, the pain with your own sin. Yeah. So I'm going to read um, a, a, a portion of it, um, um, of, of the book of the chapter Patience. Um, this is Romano Gardini learning the virtues. Dissatisfaction with our own imperfection and insufficiency must remain. Otherwise, we would lose that power of self-criticism, which is a prerequisite for all moral development. But it should not cause us to escape into illusions about ourselves. Every sound criticism must begin with what is given and work on from that point, knowing that it will be slow work, extremely slow. And this very slowness guarantees that the change is taking place not in our fancy, but in reality. So what does so, that illusion look like? Yeah, so so two, two points, if I may yeah, draw sure. out of this. Um, the, the illusion that you're mm-hmm. referencing. Um, there, there are two that I notice in my own life. And this, mm-hmm. uh, this is related to having melancholic attributes. This is also related to being human. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there can be this, this self-illusion of I'm bad and can do no good. Shame clouding. Yeah, like shame clouding, self-hatred in, a, in, a, in an unhealthy, in an yeah. unrealistic, in an illusory sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, you're telling lies about yourself yes. to yourself yes. that are just awful. Yes. And, and so you just want to throw up your hands in despair. Yes. Very familiar, very familiar with this. Um, if if I if I think I'm good and I don't need any help, like what need do I have of God? Right. If but if I think I'm bad and can do no good and can't even really be redeemed by God, then then what need do I have of God? Yeah. And so for me, more often, more often, it's the self hatred. I'm not sure if that's the melancholic disposition, the depression. Um, so, like, um, yeah, the, the, so the self-hatred is, is one thing that, that I personally struggle with often. Like, God, uh, I, I definitely have an angsty bent mm. um, towards, towards myself, um, um, a, a brooding bent, which may come not, not be coming out in my... Uh, uh, wholesome and, and and soothing voice um <laughs> it's definitely there though and, and and sort of this this dissatisfaction the 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 existential like why am i here has is, is a part of my spiritual life 
Yeah. Well, and I think to maybe pick up on that and the dissatisfaction especially, mm-hmm. within the Christian life, there's a need to constantly recognize you are good, you are made in the image of God, you are loved by the Father, mm-hmm. and you are loved as you are right now, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he wants to call you to even more than you currently are. Tough balance. It is a tough balance. C.S. Lewis says um, that loving the sinner, hating the sin is something that he first learned to do in his own life. But the more that he tr- truly grew an authentic love for himself, mm-hmm. the more he grew dissatisfied with his own sin. Yeah. Yeah. That's the healthy response to it. But the unhealthy response is to either say, I don't sin or I hate myself. Right. Exactly. Yes. All right. Well, with that in mind, <laughs> one of the things we've been doing throughout these episodes is looking at a book by a Father Conrad Hawk, another good German, uh, on the temperaments and spiritual life. And he lists different traits for the different temperaments. And I'll tell you now, he tends to have a pretty negative description of all four. <laughs> like, uh, someone okay. after reading them said, does he like any of the temperaments? That's all right. But he's a, he's a spiritual director who's very much focused on the second part of that. Uh, like you, okay. can be, you can do better. You okay. can, you're called to more. What are the issues you're probably struggling with, etc.? Mm-hmm. He's not there to just comfort people, console them, and say, hey, you're good as you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I do think some people need that. And I think yeah, that yeah. so this is I'm just telling you now this is okay. not gonna be that. I might I might I might have to I'm I'll also tell you right now for my own sake I might have to argue with them a little. bit. Absolutely, that's and, exactly and what I want. The positive. That's exactly <laughs> what I want to have happen to nuance this to say here's where it fits here's where it doesn't yeah. because no one hears all of this and says everything about this perfectly fits me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a general tendency yep. because it's a, it's a general. Again, we've got four different lists of attributes. If you've noticed, people aren't reducible to four different types. You don't just what? walk around and say, "Wait, there are only four types of people yeah. in the world." Yeah. And so, the nuance and all of the things we've talked about that make things boring. it would be horribly boring. Uh, you know, like two different violins don't play the same way. So you can say some general things about violins, but. Of course, there's going to be some differences. And yeah. some of that's going to be because the violin is going to be different than an oboe. But two different violins aren't going to play the same way. Two yeah. pianos aren't going to play the same way. Two melancholics aren't going to give glory to God in the same exact way. Play the same way. Play the same way. Yes. Just to keep it yeah, parallel. Consistent. Yeah. Yes. All right. The first <laughs> trait. The melancholic is self-conscious, easily embarrassed, timid, and bashful. Uh, yeah. For the most part. It doesn't seem like it, but, like, big crowds of people I personally despise. Um, so uh, someone yesterday was asking me what a good party game is to play with. Uh, <laughs> that someone may or may not be the host. <laughs> um, what, what a good party game is to play with, like, a larger group of people. And, and I, I, I said something to the effect of uh, a party game where they split into, like, groups of two or three and then do their own thing. So he was like, you know, party chess. And like, yeah, that sounds a lot better than, like, having a group of people. Like, I, I like that more. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, this is going to be, I think, similar. Number two, avoids talking before a group. When obliged to, he finds it difficult. Um, I, I think this is one area where, like, I, there's, there's a natural shyness, but then there's also, like, a, a, a room for growth and, and, and a necessity that maybe I've recognized. Uh, my parents had all three of us kids do public speaking, so that's mm. one thing that, like, I haven't really struggled with That's as great. Much. That's also a perfect example of 
nature and nurture yeah, and yeah. how they can kind of interact yeah. too. Question for you here. Yes. Could you do this podcast if you could see all the listeners while we're doing it? Uh, no. Probably 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 not. Although I I do think even if melancholics maybe are more prone to those kind of uh, sensitivities about public speaking, pretty common one. There's yeah. a joke I'm going to share here right, that right. um the number two fear people have apparently is fear of death, and the number one fear is public speaking. Mm-hmm. And so someone said, at a funeral, the person doing the eulogy has it worse. <laughs> uh, so number three, <laughs> prefers to work and play alone. Good in details. Careful. You've actually kind of alluded to some of those details, but... Um, I prefer, yeah, so I, I would prefer to work and play alone for the most part, but I'm also, like, comfortable having this conversation at the same time, and, like, um, if I know people in the group, then I'm more comfortable yeah. in the group already. Um, um, I, I am not... It's weird when I am a detail person and when I'm not a detail person is very inconsistent even to okay. myself. yeah. Um, my room is filthy. Okay. Um, <laughs> Everyone now knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, shocker. Like, <laughs> I would tell you that if you asked. Um, um, what are some of the areas you're really detail-oriented? So, so I, I worked a job doing construction for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that, like, my boss worked with me a lot, and, and really fantastic boss, really, really good man, love him to death, really strong Catholic man. Um, is like you, you got to know the margin for error. So like this two by four, you know, it can be an eighth of an inch off, you know, behind the drywall. It can be an eighth of an inch off. It can be a quarter of an inch off. The, the stuff that's around the windows that you see, the wood around mm-hmm. the windows, that needs to be like a 16th or a 32nd off. Wow. You know, and yeah. so like knowing the margin of error that's allowable yeah, is, is something that I actually really struggled with because I wanted all the two by fours to be within the 30 second. That's such a good, that, it's a desire for something like perfection. Perfection, yes. And so, so, but like knowing when good enough is good enough. Yeah. Is, is, is something that I inconsistently struggle with, but I do struggle with. Great. That's a, that's a really good answer. Um, number four, deliberate, slow in making decisions, perhaps overcautious, even in minor matters. Ah, unintentionally. Unintentional. <laughs> Do you need more time yes, to come up yes. with that? Oh man. Oh, I wasn't I wasn't even trying to do that. I was not trying to do that. Uh, um perhaps that's your answer. I think I think um, it is. <laughs> Number five. <laughs> no, no, Okay. So 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 I I do find in in my words um often like that's but but like I've seen the results that my hasty words can do. Oh yeah. Um, and I've again, like going going back a little bit, like I've seen the pain that like that's caused myself and caused mm-hmm. my relationships that hasty words can do. There's a capacity to learn from that, and and perhaps that's where the caution comes from, mm-hmm. like realizing that like you've damaged relationships. Yeah. Well, Maybe. there's a great story from Saint John the Beloved's life. So Saint John, as I mentioned, classically considered a melancholic. The way he he feels so deeply. He's observing. He doesn't feel the need to lead. You know, he's happy to wait at the tomb for Peter to go first. And uh, this kind of sensitivity of soul that he really exhibits where he he does, he recognizes his own sense of being the beloved disciple. Well, anyway, at the end of his life, it said that uh, people would come to him and they'd want like 
you know, this is a guy who was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was an apostle. Tell us something. And he would, he would kind of mosey up to wherever they were speaking from. We'd say an ambo today. I don't know what it would have looked like. And he would just say, love one another. And that would be it. But he would, he would weigh his words so carefully. Yeah. He didn't feel the need to have a deluge. Just a few well-chosen, uh, kind of well-placed words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I guess, the positive side. Oh, yeah. The negative side is that sometimes, if it's like, where do we go to eat? <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't need that level of deliberation. Yeah, of like, yeah, this yeah. is the theological message I'm passing on to first yeah, century yeah, Christianity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most people don't have that problem. Anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, number five, lacking in self-confidence and initiative compliant and yielding which i would just say first of all those are two very different things being compliant and yielding versus lacking in self-confidence and initiative um they might be related but they're definitely distinct and one of them seems a lot more positive than the other what do you mean by that so being like unyielding being unwilling to sort of budge is only good if the thing you're unwilling to budge on is worth that kind of stubbornness yeah whereas so I think in a lot of cases, a person who's compliant and yielding, we view them as kind of like, a, a, you know, someone who's a company man or, you know, he goes with the flow or, or whatever. Those are often positive attributes, I think, whereas lacking in self-confidence and initiative is usually said yeah. negatively. Okay, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm going to talk about the, the first part. Okay. There, uh, like anything, there, there is a strength and a weakness to this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, this is interesting just because I, I don't think it's terribly usual um, um uh, i i have changed my mind over the course of a discussion with a stranger on facebook yeah I admitted it yes that's a great example <laughs> where... which is not very normal yeah yeah <laughs> a lot of people are unwilling to uh do that even if they feel maybe some internal conflict mm-hmm pride might keep you from doing it, not wanting to look silly or ridiculous. But yeah, I think that's that's a great example of where it can be good to be compliant and yielding, where if someone else says, no, actually, you're wrong and here's why, you can sort of say, oh, okay. Maybe I am. Like, let's consider it. Yeah. I I, I might say say less yielding. It does seem to have a negative connotation. I'm Mm. not sure if it does. Uh, a, a, a more balanced word might be like deliberative mm. and like mm-hmm. you know tearing that down from I think the fourth point mm-hmm. where it's like uh, deliberative yeah is is uh, it, it could be its own sentence you know like, yeah where where you know it is deliberative and like that comes with good good deliberation healthy deliberation um a, a, perhaps a deeper understanding that comes from uh, what is it? Mary pondered these things in her heart. Yeah, like this is good. This is Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, can it also lead to decision paralysis and inaction? You bet your bottom dollar it can. So <laughs> I want to add one thing to that. If everything you're saying there is true, and melancholics often struggle with maybe more self doubt and self-criticism than Mm -hmm. other temperaments it would make sense that if you're the positive part of being deliberative is that you're more concerned with being right than seeming right Mm -hmm. you don't need to have like 
a, a quick bon mot or a, a, the last word in a, a like a well chosen phrase or uh, you yeah, know yeah. or or like the last word in something. Um, on the other hand, your desire to be right, if it's coupled with a lack of trust in your own ability to achieve that, and you trust other people's ability more. Mm-hmm. That can lead to a yielding personality in, in, in ways way. in, in ways that are positive or negative, depending yeah. on the reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah. If that's you're trusting fair. your spiritual director more than you, probably that's really good. If you're trusting like a negative stranger on Facebook yeah, and yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't have your good in mind and they aren't telling you the truth, yeah. then that's where you can see it. I think come up in a, a really negative way. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, All right. that's a good point. What, what was the second half of that sentence? Because there was something... Oh, because it was also say. talking about lacking in self-confidence and initiative. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually the first half that we talked about it in reverse order. Perfect. Okay. Um, anything you want on that? Uh, no, I think okay, great. Uh, number seven. So I'm lacking in initiative, you know? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, number seven. Tends to depression. Huh. Frequently moody or glum. Yeah. Very sensitive. Easily hurt. Yes. Okay. Um, yes, again, I'm not sure, um, one, so I've, I've done, I've done a lot of counseling over the years, mm-hmm. um, both in secular and religious and an intersection of the two have been, I was first diagnosed with depression, um, in a clinical sense and put on medication, put on pharmaceuticals in my sophomore year of college. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that some of the listeners know about secondary causality. And some of them may not. So I'm going to say say something that um, maybe you'll need to back me up on okay. just to make sure that this weird I'm, I'm guy, ready. <laughs> weird guy isn't spouting, you know, <laughs> blasphemy heresy or whatever. Pharmaceuticals are a secondary causality way that God can use to heal people. It doesn't show a lack of faith to take pills to feel better. That's a great example. If, if there's a much longer anecdote I could share about the guy whose house is flooding and he says he's going to rely on God and he, he turns away all the other help that he gets and then he, he dies and goes before God and he's like, why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent you a stranger, I sent you a boat, I sent yeah. you a helicopter yeah. and, and you've said no to all of those things. Yeah. That we can have a, a really corrupted view of, of what it looks like to trust in God. And it's not distrusting in God to trust in the, the aids that he gives us through the world around us, yes. through through experts and other things. So that's that's a good piece of advice for anyone who may be struggling with depression, may be struggling with things that aren't just the melancholic temperament. Yes. That we're not saying this is just how you're wired, there's some positives, don't get help. Like there are ways that all of the temperaments can kind of go to excesses and and may need whatever the appropriate help is. Yeah. yeah. Um, to kind of bring those back in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so so that that, that isn't exclusive to melancholics. That 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 isn't that isn't exclusive at all. Um, but it is um, in in some in some Catholic circles there is the view that like you know if if you trusted or prayed more, um, and there can be an over spiritualization or an under spiritualization, and it's a really really hard balance in. One thing I'm also going to assume that your readers or writers, listeners, good gracious, <laughs> listeners, um, know is 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 one of the definitions of virtue is the mean relative to the person. Yeah, that in other and, words, and so emphasizing relative to the person is 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 sort of what I. And this isn't moral relativism. It's the idea that you can't say uh, the appropriate amount of food to eat is. 
2,500 calories because yeah. you're going to have some people who are slimmers and some people who are like, you know, large guys who need a lot of food. And then you have, you know, really a petite woman who doesn't need, a, you know, yeah. they're going to need different things relative so, to who they are, yeah. which doesn't mean, oh, whatever you feel is right is right. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. means your excess or deficiency is based on the concrete circumstance of your life. And so, so, so to give you, to, to give maybe another example that's, that's within the temperaments, mm-hmm. within that framework. So a, a stereotypical sanguine mm-hmm. and a general sanguine, um, they are not showing courage by going up and speaking in front of people. <laughs> That's a good example. Like that, that doesn't really register. It's not a struggle. It's not getting out of their comfort zone. Right. In fact, they may show courage by being quiet in mm-hmm. a social setting. They may show courage by, like, letting someone more soft-spoken speak instead of them. Whereas a melancholic, someone who is quieter by nature, may show courage by going up and speaking in front of someone. That's a brilliant example. They may show yeah. courage by being active in a social setting. And so so that that's what I mean. That That's... Um, I, what is properly understood is it's relative to the person. It's not do whatever you want. It's that based on my nature, based on your nature, based on our upbringing, where we are now is different. Yeah. And like that's... And virtue takes into account all of that. Yeah. The virtuous thing to do... Uh, St. Francis de Sales has a beautiful description of this at the beginning of the introduction to the devout life where he just says... It would not be good for a bishop to live like a silent monk yes. or vice versa. Precisely. And a housewife and a priest are called the different things. And these are the examples he gives. And I think they're really good at showing that all these things, temperament, vocation, state and life, all of that uh, is going to come together and virtue plays out in that, which is why you can't just have a rule book that says always do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's going to depend on the circumstances. And so with that whole whole ramble and, and tangent aside, I have experienced depression. I'm not sure if that's because, uh, quote unquote, because I am a melancholic, if, if there's causality there, if it's part of my upbringing, if, if it's certain coping strategies I learned as a kid, if it's that God has decided that this is the suffering that I am to experience. These are all possibility probabilities, really. Um, does, does, does being melancholic entail that you're depressed? No. Does it, does it predispose you towards depression? Probably. Yeah. Hawk's language is tends to depression, which I think is a good way of saying there's some sort of correlation we're seeing here, seeing here. Yeah. We don't have to. We don't have to know the physiology, even the spiritual kind of roots of all of it, yes. to know this is something to watch out for. Maybe mm-hmm. more uh, if you're a melancholic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get the last uh, five here. Right. Number eight Ooh. does not form acquaintances readily. Prefers narrow range of friends. Tends to exclude others. So, so, so here's here's a here's a, a funny observation that I've noticed more and more about myself. Either I am in the wedding party mm-hmm. in some capacity, or I'm not invited to the wedding. Mm. <laughs> That's a great description. You're either super close to the person, yes. or you're just like not even within the ambit of people they think to invite. Yes. That's uh, there. You go. That captures <laughs> so it perfectly. I would, yeah, like, and 
And again, like, I, I have what I would consider perhaps deeper friendships with the people that I'm friends with. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like <laughs> that's good. The only thing to worry about is the last part of that tends to exclude others. And I think we'll get Art to this. Art tends to be felt excluded and then can That's exactly bitter. where I was going to go. Yeah, that... and become, like, bitter or, or like, jealous of other people. Yeah. I think that's one thing that I struggle with, too. Um, um, so, often. actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump down to number 12. We'll get 9, 10, and 11 in a okay. second. But I think this ties in to this exact conversation. So, number 12 says, often represents himself at a disadvantage. And then the other side of that is modest and unassuming. But the often represents so himself... Modest. <laughs> like the most modest person ever. <laughs> so what I was going to say was simply that the bit about representing yourself at a disadvantage, one of the phenomena that can occur with melancholics, it seems to me as a non-melancholic, is that they view themselves more as passive in the events in their own life, where they're more likely to view themselves as a victim of being excluded. Hmm. And so because they don't put themselves as, maybe they underestimate how much a person would want to be friends with them, they can sometimes be oblivious to the ways that they're incidentally uh, excluding themselves, excluding others uh. by assuming, oh, you wouldn't want to hang out with me. Uh, and so yeah. if you have a low enough view of yourself that you don't think anyone would want to hang out with you, you might ignore their overtures as like just sympathy when they might be in earnest trying to like form mm. a friendship. And so they receive it as like a rejection when you're just trying to save them the burden of, of a friendship of with you or whatever. So huh. I'm not saying that applies in your particular case. It, uh, you know, I've never heard that before, actually. All these others, like, I've, or all the others that we've gone to so far, mm-hmm. I've, like, seen or, like, related yeah. to in some way. This is one that I haven't necessarily heard articulated before, and I, I, I will need to mull over that for yeah. a while. Okay, so, that's good. That's... I, you know, and uh, like all these what other ones. Deliberative, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, with like all of these traits, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Um, but that representing yourself at a disadvantage, seeing yourself uh, kind of being the wounded or the aggrieved or the, the victim in a situation, that tendency uh, can cause people to overlook their own agency hmm. in the way that their own kind of reaction to situations can harm others. Let's jump back now to number nine. Worries over possible misfortune. Crosses bridges before coming to them. Hmm. Worries over misfortune. Like you're um, seeing the problems down the road before they get there. So Christ has the line that tomorrow has its own evils. The evils of mm-hmm. today are enough. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, yeah, those problems are going to come down the road. Mm-hmm. And we'd say in response to this, like a stitch in time saves nine. Because yeah. we have this, we need to worry about all of the future problems. So that we're ready for them. Again, one of those tough balances. Yeah. Like, I, I actually, uh, one 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 friend of mine actually, um, said something that, that that was that was very helpful for me. Um, they were, um, they they went to go shooting, um, mm-hmm. and and she she was talking about that a little bit. It was like when I was focused on the target, I didn't shoot well. When I focused on my stance and then pointed the gun towards the target vaguely, but I was very focused on my stance, I shot well. That's a really interesting insight. And so um, what that exactly looks like in my own life, I'm still figuring out every day. Um, Number 10, secretive, 
seclusive, shut in, not inclined to speak unless spoken to? Mm, I would say yes. Um, um, so, so this is something actually that the a few people have talked to to me about, um, and the, uh, this is getting a, a little bit personal, but like that's that's okay. The, um, my hope is that this this in some ways would be a witness. Mm-hmm. Um, my junior year. I was talking with a fellow in in seminary, uh, an, another guy from my home diocese, and I was talking with him about my struggles with depression. Mm-hmm. And and he was in seminary. And and one thing that at the seminary that I thought was very very good, and like I, I felt a lot of community, and I didn't feel very alone there. And, he, and eventually he just started crying because he felt so alone with his struggles and had been unable to share those. Wow. Um, and I remember that, and I, I um, sort of made made a promise to myself that I would that I would share things. Yeah, like my feeling uncomfortable was worth him feeling less alone. That's beautifully put. And so um, that lasted in some regards. However, I grew to be have a very calculated vulnerability. Which is not actually vulnerability. Number 11. Slow in movement, deliberative, or perhaps indecisive, moods frequent and constant. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, I'm not sure if I'm indecisive. (laughs) I see what you did there. Um, slow, deliberative, and movement. Um... I think again we see, uh, you know, one one area where like I've seen this may, maybe like it is apparent to the listener as well. Um, I'm trying to think about my words yeah. before I'm saying them, um, and even I, as you're saying, yeah, them, yeah, yeah like yeah. you're you're watching them leave yeah. slowly. And I, I I think that like um, uh, so like even even this pause like you even like drawing attention to this conversation that we're having yeah. you seem to have like fewer pauses yeah i often I want to jump in and say more words during your pauses too it's that's the tendency of a sanguine yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so 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 yes I, I would i would agree with that like um um again that that deliberate deliberateness deliberate deliberativeness yeah sure words um yeah, like it's, I, I would count it by and large as, as a strength. It can get a little bit frustrating to be interrupted. Um, and sometimes my own <laughs> frustration and impatience from that can come out in a bad way where I'm like, no, like I had a thought. Right. Let me finish. I was just thinking about what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I think this is something that, especially in sanguine melancholic conversations, both sides have to be mindful of because it's a sanguine. If I'm uncomfortable out of the silence and feel the need to fill it, I'm inadvertently making the situation worse because you weren't like uncomfortably silent. You were gathering your thoughts mm-hmm. to present them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being so open, so vulnerable, and for sharing so much. I hope it's been very helpful and interesting uh, to everyone listening. Why don't we close now in a prayer? Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John the Beloved. Pray for us.
The Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School of Faith Institute. To find out more or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schooloffaith.com.